Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Sol Luckman. First, I have a couple of announcements. Our website is ForbiddenKnowledge.News. It's also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. This is where you find some of your favorite podcasts from our community, like Raised by Giants, Understanding Propaganda, What the Frick Live, Aliens and Astrology, and we have more to come. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, all podcast platforms. Our social media is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Rockfin is where you get our premium content. Best of all, you get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin for only $10 a month. Just go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus. That's R-O-K-F-I-N dot com slash FKN plus to sign up now. Today I want to welcome Sol Luckman. He is a longtime researcher of shamanism and spirituality and an iconoclastic psychonaut devoted to exploring and exposing the truth about human history and potential wherever that might lead. His new novel, Kali the Destroyer, is a sci-fi tale set in an Orwellian future, seated in the dystopian present that radically rewrites Gnosticism as well as the origins of the earth and humanity. It has won six literary awards since its publication last year. Soul, welcome. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yes, man. My favorite shows are the ones where we are peeling back the seemingly never-ending layers of what we're perceiving as reality. You've been exploring within these layers for quite a long time. I'm looking forward to getting your insights into things like, are we in a holographic simulated reality? Is there some kind of grand trickster intelligence that's hijacked our perception at some time in the past? And where do we as spirit beings fall into everything? I want there's so much I want to get into, but let's start with more about your background and what led you to this research. Oh yeah, it's uh, I, I'm a kind of uh, jack of all trades, so I I, I come at this this uh, research from a few different angles. Uh, one is a literary angle. My my uh, academic training was in literature and writing, and I've written uh, several novels and uh, creative works. So that's that's one angle, and then I uh, I got sick years ago after getting jabbed for travel. I, I spent about a decade in an autoimmune nightmare, um, and uh, ended up figuring out how to get out of that by uh, using a form of energy healing that I, I developed called regenetics, and that's uh, that can be definitely um, applied uh, either to a quote unquote, real world or to a holographic simulation, you can look at it from both perspectives, what it's actually doing. So uh, that's another angle. And then I've been, you know, really looking into a variety of writers and thinkers on on simulation theory and related concepts. I mean, I started years ago reading, you know, of course, uh, uh, the holographic universe by Michael Talbot and that kind of thing. And then there's other books out there. And then you've got like Jason Bashir's Bashir's these days doing his thing. He was on your show. That was a great interview uh, that you conducted with him, or maybe you've done a couple, I think. At yeah, this point. yeah. I've done a couple, right. Yeah. yeah um, <clears throat> so, uh, so lots, lots going on there. I mean, just the other day I was reading this, uh, you know, really wonderful article um, on the conversation.com. And I, I just uh, bookmarked, uh, it was a, um, a scientist writing about simulation theory. And I, I just wanted to quote this is really, really cool. This is let's imagine a time in the future when computers are powerful enough to fully simulate a human brain with its vast array of interconnected neurons. 
These neurons obey the laws of physics and fire as their chemical balances change. Thoughts would echo around the synthetic brain with electrical signals coursing backwards and forwards. It's just in skipping forward. I will ignore the seemingly endless debates about free will and consciousness. But if you take a purely mechanical view, the synthetic brain would be as alive as the organic brain that made it. And so if you're feeding a stimulus into a synthetic brain, then it's going to perceive the universe with pain and fear, happiness and love, even boredom and drowsiness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you really would not be able to tell the difference from a feeling uh, perspective. You would have to actually analyze other data points to figure it out. Right. Man, yeah, that's that's incredible. That's a good uh, that's a good opening statement to start with, uh, and I think another place that a good place to start would be to get a synopsis of your novel, Cali the Destroyer. Yeah, that um, I I do have some news on that front. Um, it just won its fifth and sixth literary awards, so that's a nice. record for me on anything that I've ever done. Appreciate that. Yeah, it won um, it won um, the um, visionary fiction category and the New York City Big Book Awards, which you know was pretty competitive, and it had um, you know big presses participating as well as indie presses and writers. And the audiobook of Callie the Destroyer also uh, won um, a distinguished favorite or something like that. I can't remember exactly the term. So that was cool. Um, yeah, I uh, well, that's a that's a whole kind of can of worms. But that book came about through a download back in 2019. Late in 2019, I went to bed one night and ended up just not really being able to sleep because I started downloading the plot for this novel. I felt like it was just being given to me. And something similar to this had occurred with my previous novel. Uh, it was It's called Snooze, A Story of Awakening. And it, it was also pretty popular. And I, I kind of got it all in one chunk and then wrote it, you know. And so this this happened and I started writing this story about a pandemic used to introduce uh, nefarious agenda agendas to kind of take over the world. Right. But this was before the this was before any of the virus stuff started to happen. So um, I started writing it and then everything started happening. <laughs> and so I was writing the novel and what I was writing was actually happening. And so you talk about feeling like you're truly in some kind of weird simulation. Someone jokingly said, you're the demiurge. <laughs> you're creating all of this shit. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so it, the, the story is this dystopian kind of, I don't know if you take Man in the High Castle and mix it with Handmaid's Tale and then mix it with Hunger Games and then throw in other things, you know, with a lot of Gnosticism, then uh, then it, you, you get, you know, some rough facsimile of what I was doing in writing this story about the goddess uh, in, incarnating into a character named Callie, uh, spelled C-A-L-I, and that's, um, that's the lead character. And so that's the goddess from the fallen goddess scenario of someone like John John Lash writing and not as not in his image about the history or the story of Gnosticism and how the earth came into being and that sort of thing. Right on. Well, what is your personal view of our history when it comes to creation story and and our spiritual being? Right. You know, 
I, when I started really delving back into uh, holographic concepts and, um, and simulation theory, and I really say back into it because in 05, I wrote a, a book called Conscious Healing, and um, it was the first book on the regenetics method that I developed to, to heal myself. And I probably, I, I went back at some point in the last several months and looked at all the times I'd used the word hologram or holographic. I just did a search back through the manuscript on a, with a PDF search uh, function. And boy, I was all over it. I mean, I was really writing very seriously about this notion that we are not just casually affecting or in some minor way affecting the world that we're actually very much responsible for bringing it into being. And I was looking at, for example, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, this idea that scientists are that scientists are affecting the very phenomena they're studying. <laughs> they're changing the outcome of experiments. And I'm writing that that really means that we're kind of creating our reality, which is a new age cliche, but I was looking at it from a scientific lens and then other people have said well it doesn't really mean that they're just creating they're, you're creating your reality it means that you're affecting your reality i'm like well where do you draw the line where is the line it seems mm -hmm. absolutely arbitrary it seems to me that it's either either we can't do that that's a that's a kind of a, an ability that we don't possess the ability to change reality or we can go all the way right i can so look back on my own life and see uh, areas where it seemingly I basically created the scenario that led to where I'm at. And, you know, it's easier to look back and see how this was able to happen rather than seeing it happen at the time. Right on. You know, um, I feel that way intensely. I, you know, the first novel that I wrote, I, I wrote, I wrote this novel years ago called Beginner's Luke. And I had divided it into six books inside the novel, right? And I submitted it to this uh, uh, New York publisher, a pretty big one, a well-known one. And they agreed to publish it, but they wanted to break it up into, into six novels, right? <laughs> and I, I ended up saying no, and, and I didn't go with that. And I, I self-published the first few volumes kind of on their uh on their recommendation to break it up, but it never really gained. I mean, a lot of people really liked it, but it never took off. And I didn't know what I was doing in the early stages of marketing my own work. So I'm in the process of re, um, re uh, uh, editing the manuscript and I'm gonna republish it next year. I tell the story because it's about a character who goes around imagining his existence completely and that's the whole point is that he is having a series of adventures in an imaginary life or a series of imaginary lives if you want to look at it that way and i took it very very seriously and i wrote it in such a way that anybody reading it could think well that's all i'm doing really i'm just creating all these scenarios for myself over and over and over again and sometimes i get in ruts and i get stuck or i, I do stupid things or whatever or maybe i do something heroic and grand and incredible mm -hmm. i can't believe i did that but in either case or in any case we're always just doing some version of the creation we're, we're constantly creating and interacting with whatever this medium is that we're in right now in your research you theorize that something possibly hijacked our perception and is maybe not in full control, but uh, persuading our reality. And it's different than it used to be. 
Yeah, I, I do think that that's, that's the case, that there is some version of the programming from, uh, for our reality that we perceive as a, a trickster or a negative, uh, a negative force. You know, is this is the idea of the Lord Archon or the Demiurge or uh, Yaldabaoth or Saklas, whatever you want to call this character in Gnosticism. And in my book, Cali the Destroyer, that character actually appears literally. It's a character. <laughs> so the Demiurge is in my book. If you want to, if you want to go check out Cali the Destroyer, um, but that's that's a kind of uh, a. I'm pretending in that book that the world is real, right? <laughs> that there is a cosmology and space and galactic center and the goddess fell out of that and created the archons and all of this. But I'm just as happy to entertain the possibility that the this, this thing that we perceive as evil is actually some aspect of the programming of the holography. And when you go there, you run into, I think you run into an essential, uh, essential conundrum. And it's, I don't know that one can answer this question. Uh, one can have feelings about it and that's, and beliefs and that sort of thing. But the, here's the question is, is that aspect of the programming part of the programming or did, did something come in and hijack the programming? So if you can imagine that we let's imagine for a moment that we are outside the simulation and that we are maybe part of the team that created the simulation that we're experiencing or that we're students right. interacting with them. And so we are part of the group of people, scientists, perhaps, who created this simulation. And then we decided to come in and do this thing. Right. Then did the Demiurge, the Lord Archon, did the, did this this force somehow infiltrate or infect the program like some kind of parasite. And in fact, you know, John Lash is always talking about how the archons are archons are parasites, they're mental parasites, or was this part of the programming so that we would have to come to terms with this notion of good and evil of duality. Right. Yeah. And there's I'm a part of me that thinks maybe the, la the latter is the case that really we're not dealing with an external absolute evil. We're dealing with a scenario, a fictional scenario that's teaching us things about ourselves and about the nature of consciousness. I really can't tell you what's outside the simulation. I can, I, I have my own thoughts about this idea that, you know, why we might be doing it. I mean, I believe, I mean, I really like, you know, you have like John Keats talking about the the veil of soul making. You have the transcendentalists talking about the oversoul and about how, you know, we are in a kind of classroom. And this was you know, the, the romantic poets were all about this notion. And then as we moved away from humanism and, and our educational and philosophical systems got hijacked by a kind of scientism and a Bolshevik communistic view in my, in my estimation, you know, combined with liberal doses of fascism, um, you know, we, we lost the ability to see, uh, you know, to see ourselves holistically in a learning environment and we became automatons or robots or, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, you know, slaves to a, 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 a kind of a materialistic system. Um, and, and, and the reason I really think all of that is such bullshit is that 
you know, from an archontic perspective, that's how they do things. They, they, they go to the opposite. If you watch the news, it's always the opposite. So if they're telling you, you, you are material, a material being and the material world is all there is, and then you die and then that's it or whatever, then you can be almost certain it's a total lie. So there's a lot more to it. It's much more complicated and you have to go in the opposite direction. So here we are, you know, experiencing some kind of training simulation, some kind of uh, soul making um, uh, simulation or simulacrum. And what I found is if you just look, look at who we are inside of it. Yes, I did find evidence that we used to be much greater or that we we have the ability to be much greater. When I was doing a lot of kinesiology, muscle testing, and other types of research leading up to the Regenetics Method, I and my partner, Lee, she and I, we worked with all kinds of clients and we kept doing testing, uh, muscle testing that revealed that the second chakra, which corresponds to the second auric field and your energy field. So down at the sex area, the sex organs area, is this gigantic energy drain. It's like energy can flow up and then it gets sucked out. <laughs> so we, we said, oh my gosh, there's a huge problem in the energy field. Like it's broken, it's, it's fractured. And we called it the fragmentary body. And lo and behold, other researchers have found the same thing. Eileen McCusick, who wrote uh, the, um, Tuning the, the Human Bioenergy Field. Uh, which won the Nautilus Silver Award a few years ago. She's a hugely popular uh, healer and author. She found the same thing. She even writes about regenetics in that book and my discovery of the fragmentary body or Lee, uh, the discovery that Lee and I made of this um, energy vortex in the system. So we realized that we were actually energetically programmed either in some kind of materialistic universe that relies on energy or in an energy program, energy-based program. We were programmed somehow to actually be vulnerable to outside influence, to, to parasites or other things coming in through our fragmentary body and taking over aspects of our consciousness and controlling us. Right. And here's the beautiful part of what we did Chris, we figured out how to seal the fragmentary body. Tell us about it. Yeah, you just, you basically use vowels, certain codes of vowels that you think and chant simultaneously, and it repatterns the bioenergy field, and the fragmentary body just goes away. Well, while we're, we're in this field, tell us a little bit more about regenetics for the audience that may not be familiar. Sure. Um, Goodness gracious. I mean, there's so much here. Uh, I'd like to invite people to go over and check out my Substack, where there's a lot of related information happening. And that's soulluckman.substack.com. And you can uh, subscribe for free for most of the content. So, uh, yeah. And you know, there's also some really great stuff um, that I've been publishing recently as I've been dipping, dipping back into the simulation waters. There's a great article called Embryonic Holography that you should really check out by a physicist, uh, physicist named Richard, Richard Allen Miller. There's another one um, uh, related to that. Just if you search holograph or holographic, you'll see some content coming up that will be of interest to this people who are interested in this discussion. And there's also a lot of information relative to regenetics. So you can, you can check that out and that'll take you over to other websites and other places where you can find information. But that just to, you know, the short, the short um, answer, Chris, to, you know, what's going on with regenetics is that it was what resulted from 
my desperation when I was really sick and I was trying to figure out how to get well. I was coming from much more of a materialistic perspective. I was in academe, <laughs> right when all this hardcore materialism was kicking in. You know, I was in in, in the you know the, at the Ivy League level, which is the worst of the worst, the most brainwashed of the brainwashed. You know, it's all inverted. You know, all of these people we think are smart are really totally stupid in certain key areas. Uh, just it, like like big brains that can't like tie their shoes. You know that that kind of thing, and so. Um, I, I did a lot of things to try to get well, spent a lot of money, went totally into, you know, I went through the allopathic world, which was useless into the alternative healing world, tried all kinds of things. Nothing really did anything. I spent all this money and, you know, I had a lot of uh, negative experiences, but I finally discovered Qigong. So that is a kind of energy cultivation that is the, the kind of meditative precursor to Tai Chi. And so I'm doing Qigong and I move out to New Mexico to study with a teacher and I get up at, you know, early in the morning and I do Qigong for several hours a day just to try to like put my life back together. And it helped me and it taught me that there's something to this energy stuff. <laughs> there's absolutely something to it. It never got me well. It never cured my food allergies or environmental sensitivities or anything like that, but it got me on my feet. And then I went forward and eventually I discovered a form, another form of energy healing that, um, it, that was a combination of like acupressure and sort of like homeopathy in a way it was using frequencies to do resets on the, 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 uh, neural or you know uh the energetic and nervous system response to let's say uh environmental allergens right things right. that you might come in contact with either in your food or you know in the air or even electromagnetically from computers and that kind of thing so people are you know are freaking out because everyone's fritzed by all the toxicity and all the weird jabs and stuff in our world so everyone's like you know melting down because they're just full of crap really they're full of all these toxins so the body is short-circuiting in its response to the environment because it's completely overloaded. So this allergy elimination technique was a non-invasive way that used just pure energy to actually reset the responses. And that helped me too. That actually did help me. And it started changing some of my allergy patterns for a while. And then, it, and then I started getting worse again. And I, I began to suspect that you know, it, it wasn't that the idea of repatterning or resetting yourself was wrong. It was that I wasn't going about it in the right way. And I theorized that you had to get down to the genetic level, however you wanted to find that. You had to get down to the programming level and you had to change the programming. And if you could change the programming in, in, some, in some fundamental way, then you could change your response to the environment. So I began looking at sound. I began looking at vowels and different frequencies in relation to our genetics and in relation to our energy fields. And what I eventually figured out was that you could kind of speak to your DNA and that the DNA would in, in course in relationship to the greater energy field of your body, which has been called the aura or, you know, the etheric body or whatever, all of these names have been attached to it. The DNA could actually go over there where you, where you're recording all of these distortions and problems. <laughs> that's, you know, cause that's your template. That's your holographic template. Right. And it could, 
DNA could say, hey, you know, there's a problem up there in that field, in that area of the energy blueprint. Why don't you smooth that over? Right. And when it does that, lo and behold, the problems go away in your quote unquote physical experience. I love it, man. Like the more we find out uh, how different our reality was to what we've been told, the more we realize the fundamentals of so much, like, for instance, our health care, uh, our history. We have to change the way we fundamentally do things at the base and at the root. Uh, you know, for instance, our history. How are we supposed to tell what has really happened, even in our recent history, you can look at what's happening right now and how there is an attempt to erase our history, to change our history, to change major people and their roles in history. And this is unfolding right now. And how do we know how much this hasn't happened throughout our history and how, do, how can – what's a, the most efficient way – that we can even research our real history. And like you said, healthcare, we have to reprogram program ourselves from the genetic level, from, from the base level. And I find that very fascinating. I think we, we're going to have to take that to everything that we consider in reality. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it. If, you, if you're not happy or comfortable with, uh, with the idea that we're living in some kind of simulation, you can just look at it um, – as we're living in a quantum realm where we have, you know, we have what appears to be materiality, right? We have bodies, you know, we can sit down on a chair and we don't fall through the floor and that kind of thing. It appears to be material, but even, even that kind of real world science is saying that if you, if you look down into the atoms and into the substructure of, of this materiality, there's nothing there practically. so you know so so what you end up with is energy waves and uh you know we we can look at this uh we can kind of theorize that in addition to the electromagnetic energy there is a realm of subtle energy that's been called ether or prana or chi or kundalini doesn't really matter orgone you know Mm. i think it's all the same thing and this is this extremely subtle energy that would give rise to electromagnetic energy and to our perceived physicality. So that's one way of looking at the world or we're living in a simulation <laughs> and it's just programmed and none of it's real. It's all energy. And that's why all these weird quantum things are happening because we live in a programmable universe. And when I see things like mud floods and weird, you know, um, uh, weird timelines that appear to be cut off and things, you know, exploding like in 1902 with all these people like showing up out of nowhere and all these businesses that are, you know, all the Fortune 500 com- companies that are, you know, they all appear at the same time. You know, to me, the, all of that screams simulation. There's nothing, there's nothing organic about any of that. It seems really programmed. To well, me. that's actually what I want to talk a little bit about and get into is some of this evidence that you were just mentioning uh, that doesn't fit any of our natural history, doesn't fit any of our narratives. Uh, and like I said, you know, with our history being rewritten as we speak, what about just like you said, all the cataclysms and major, um, you know, maybe extinction level events that have occurred that completely wiped out most of our known history? And you add that together with the other possibilities that we're discussing. How do you know how, what's the most efficient way that we can look back and try and research our real history? Yeah, I mean, honestly, 
I think the person who's doing it the best right now, who's cutting through uh, a lot of the extraneous material is probably Jason, Jason Brashears. Mm -hmm. And I say that because he's using math and, and verifiable data on a mathematical scale to assess what the heck is going on. Right. Yeah, it's pretty, it's very fascinating. What is, what is the most compelling evidence for you that you could list that, you know, we have these uh, timelines that don't make sense. We've possibly been reset in uh, non-natural ways. What else do you see? Yeah. Well, to me, you have um, cross-referencing, you know, his material, Jason's material with my research and the stuff that I've been interested in, you know, I've come, I've come to um a certain way of understanding what's going on at this point. It's a, always an evolving process. I like what John Levi says, as always, I don't know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah. so you have, you have a, you have two forces and maybe this is just the simulations, you know, good, you know, way of, of uh, broadcasting good and evil and putting it out there. But you have, you have the archons that were called the Lords of time in the Gnostic texts. And it appears that their ability to manipulate history and to manipulate the human mind is a product of their ability to warp timelines, to cut them off, to twist them around, to combine them. So you take these various timelines and do things with them while always keeping humanity in the dark as to where they are in a non-artificial timeline. And when I say non-artificial, I mean a non-archontified timeline. It can all be in the simulation if you want it to be. So they disempower humanity by doing all of this obfuscation relative to time and where we are in time because it disorients us. I know like Dave Weiss, I really like his, his him, and I like his work, and I, I like a lot of what the like the flat Earther community has done. But really, the flat Earth, you know, figuring out that maybe we're not on a globe, you know, is not the way out of this. All right, I think you've got to fit, you've got to realize that we're in a simulation, and that the question of flat Earth versus globe is ultimately who cares? It doesn't really even matter. What really matters is where are we in the simulation? Where are we in the program? Because if, you, if you're a gamer, for example, and you're trying to win the game and you don't know where the hell you are in the game, well, you're not going to win. You're yeah. going to lose every single time. So we have to figure out where we are in the game. And this is why I go back to this archaics material, which has been a monumental download. So we can look at how the game is structured. So, the, you, have, so you have the Lords of Time and who, who are they up against? What force are they up against? Why do they do what they do? Why do the Lords of Time act this way? There's one word why they do it. It's the Phoenix. Because the Phoenix was put into the programming on this 138-year periodicity, and it doesn't matter what calendar you're on, in what tradition, or what lens you're viewing it from, the phoenix appears every 138 years with varying consequences, but it appears to show up every 138 years. 
Now, for and the so audience what, that may not be familiar, the Phoenix is like an extinction level or reset type event for the sipu- uh, simulation that kind of just resets everything, right? Well, sometimes it's a partial. Sometimes it yeah. has a limit geographical, and sometimes it's not even that bad. But you, there are signs that it happened. You know that I, I recommend that anyone go over to the you know, the you know start learning the archaics material because right. it's really it's really mentally the way to begin getting out of this this uh this mess that we're in (laughs) so so what you have is you have the lords of time squaring off against the timekeeper which is the phoenix so that's that's like evil versus good in some ways (laughs) you know uh, it's funny that the uh, in the the bible the phoenix is is called the angel of death but even if it's the angel of death it's an angel right it's it is in some way a force of good and it's a force of order, and it helps us orient, right? While also putting tremendous pressure on the various shenanigans and plans of the minions of the archons, the the humans carrying out their plans in, in the world. It keeps beating them over the head so that they can't just take over the world and totally enslave the human population. But here's the thing. If because they go down into their bunkers, they build their cities you know, underground and they weather the Phoenix phenomenon, and then they reemerge like in 1902 and they, they totally reboot the entire world with a million different projects and inventions and companies and that kind of thing. But if other people also knew about this phenomenon, the, the Phoenix phenomenon, they could do the same thing. And then when they, they would reemerge after each Phoenix phenomenon with their technology intact, and it would be a stalemate. The the uh, the Illuminati, the deep state, the cabal. The so NWO, you think there they, are there is a, a group of very high level individuals that maybe are employed by something or know about that these events and they have a, a handover on humanity just because they're familiar with this or maybe they're uh, they're working with something at a higher level. I don't know. Yeah, this is this is a part of the plot line in Cali the Destroyer. This this question, I I directly fictionalized this mm-hmm. this question, and it's it's, it's fascinating actually. Um, in this in within this conversation, I would say that there are human beings who are aware of the Phoenix timeline. We know that the thirty third degree of Freemasonry doesn't have any text that we uh, we can find that's attached to it in terms of describing what it's about, but it does have a symbol. Any any guesses what that symbol is? Would it be a phoenix? It's the phoenix. All right. All right. So they know what's going on. And so they will go down into their subterranean world. And that's also that's also uh, thematized in Cali the Destroyer to some degree. And they will ride out these events. They reemerge with all of their technology, memory, et cetera, and wealth intact. And then they take over. That's why, like, you know, in the post-1902 era with all the streets flooded and every all the craziness, mm-hmm. right? They just appeared to kind of show up out of nowhere. And then they're directing orphan trains all over the place. Right. And all this crazy stuff is happening because they know what's happening. And everybody else is walking around in some kind of post phoenix days with half of their memories shattered and uh, they don't even know who they are and they look fresh as daisies showing up in all these clothes and train stations it's like they just like <laughs> dropped into the simulation in a goddamn parachute or something it's just crazy that yes. what you, the feeling you get from a lot of those photographs now i want to get your thoughts on this um 
Like in the video game Super Mario, if you eat a magic mushroom, you gain abilities. You you get uh, stronger. You have abilities that you didn't have before. And I think it's the same. No symbolism thing. there. No. Symbolism. I think it's the same thing in our our reality. Uh, psychedelics, I believe, are a form of cheat code for us to gain knowledge and maybe uh, get a level up uh, in our reality. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think they can be totally abused and i think there yeah. are other drugs that are just always bad um but like some of the 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 natural psychedelics and even maybe lsd to some extent can be totally utilized to expand consciousness yeah yeah and i, I think that that's the, uh, a natural something that's naturally put here for humanity to maybe uh, get the information. Like you said, if we are placed here and we're lost and we don't know where we are in the game, maybe those are put here for us to figure out where we're going. Yeah, I agree. And I would, I would recommend that, you know, people in the uh, uh, listening audience here, uh, if they haven't checked out James Fadiman PhD's work, please do. Uh, you should go read the psychedelic explorer's guide. It's subtitled safe, therapeutic and sacred journeys. And so he basically, you know, it's kind of the Bible for this kind of thing. Yeah. And he charts everything from microdosing and using that to expand your creativity and awareness all the way to kind of like almost recreational level use where you don't like blow yourself out of the water to what he calls heroic journeys mm -hmm. <laughs> where you really need a guide and someone to, to keep you out of trouble when you're doing that kind of thing. And right. someone who's experienced and can help you through the rough spots. You know, but, you know, in conscious healing, for example, I was writing about uh, Jeremy Narby's work in the cosmic serpent. And he's down there trying to figure out what the ayahuasca shamans are doing. Right. How are they healing people? And they're taking this stuff and they're going into these uh, visionary experiences and they're seeing all of these what appear to be serpents that are like they're like DNA. Mm -hmm. And and they're being taught how to sing and think relative to the the uh the sick person's dna and they do it and the person gets well and so of course that was a huge inspiration for regenetics because i'm like okay this can be done this is this can absolutely be done and i've just got to figure out how to do it to to work with what i've got going on and when i did that it was like oh my god i started to get well I started to detox lee had all these wonderful things we started sharing it around it's like oh my god this is real at the time you know, I was certainly willing to entertain the holographic nature of things, um, but I wasn't full on into, into simulation theory, even though I was aware of that trend in thought. Right on, man. Now, what do you think is happening when we are having unexplained or paranormal experiences or even contact experiences, abduction? Uh, I've, ha I've been toying with the thought that possibly if, you know, we are in control outside of what we consider this simulation maybe we're sending ourselves these messages in ways that our avatars can understand based on their level of uh, spiritual understanding at that time maybe they're in uh, you're into aliens at that time or angels and maybe we appear to ourselves as an alien or an angel to give us more information about navigating through this what are your thoughts on that Oh man, Chris, you're so, you're so like speaking my language right now. You know, <laughs> I, I went on the higher side chats with Greg Carlwood a few years ago and, you know, he kind of outed me because there's a, there's a scene or a part of potentiate your DNA, this, this, this book that I, the second book uh -huh. on regenetics. 
where I describe what happened when we were given these codes for, to heal ourselves. And these, we were in Brazil in this little town called Buzios, where Brigitte Bardot used to hang out. There's a little statue of her. <laughs> it's very cool, a little nice. cool uh, uh, town in Rio State. And we were told to go to the ocean one night and we went to the ocean and these lights came across the water and popped into our bodies. And it was a very, very strange experience. And I always said that that was, I believe that was my higher self, like what you're describing. You know, I wasn't exactly thinking about it in terms of simulation theory, but as I learned and thought more along those lines, it occurred to me that, yeah, I'm probably out there somewhere in the real world communicating like, dude, you're not doing too well in here. You're going to die. You're sick as hell. And let me give you some data on how to work through this. I think that's what happened. But Greg is like, dude, you're a contactee, you know, because he's all into aliens and all yeah, this yeah. stuff. You're, you know, you're, you know, you had a, you had a contactee experience. He kind of outed me as some, you know, and at the time I'm like, well, maybe I did. I don't know. I can't really prove anything. I said, I always thought it was just my higher <laughs> self talking to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I've had similar experiences where, you know, in the beginning, I even thought I might've been communicating with aliens, but the more I gained understanding and, you know, these were through meditative experiences and even psychedelics that I was probably speaking to a uh, or my higher self or, you know, what some consider spirit guides. But I think in a way it's probably all us just uh, communicating in different ways that we can comprehend or understand. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's always us. There's a phrase, and I forget who said it originally because it wasn't me, I don't think. I mean, you know, it's so funny because sometimes I don't even know where stuff comes from anymore. I'm getting on up there. But um the phrase is there's only one of us here yeah right and i think ultimately even even if you think that we're in a simulation where maybe that really does make sense because it's just a one system but even in a real world quote unquote real world i believe that's also true ultimately that there's there's a one there's one creator having experiences in millions or billions of different bodies and different minds but ultimately, yes. we are all one. And I don't mean that in any kind of like woke way. I mean that in a very old spiritual way. Yes. Yes, I, I completely agree. I had plenty of, um, you know, my spiritual teachers and guests have great comparisons to like, you know, imagine that we're all just this one light and there's a colander covering it with billions and billions of little holes and those little holes have expressions of light coming out and that's you know those are individual experience or we're like you know a billion fingers on a giant just uh you know feeling around trying to have different experiences yeah those are great analogies i like all of that yeah and we're also kind of like the people trying to figure out you know we're blindfolded and we're trying to figure out you know what this thing is you know is it you know it's an elephant but we think it's a rope or we think it's a a leather curtain or you know some whip of the tail you know or who knows what you know we it's like even in the law of one which is one of these controversial texts that there's a there's a a description of people trying to figure out what's going on in this world of darkness and all they've got is like a little candle yes (laughs) that's what you can see that's what you get you know 
How do you feel about everything that's happened in the past few years, especially since 2020? Uh, the word awakening is going around a lot because it's pretty obvious that people are kind of snapping awake. I've, I've seen it uh, firsthand, a lot of people in my own life, friends and family, that are questioning the narrative, questioning reality, looking further into spiritual topics. Uh, and there's definitely something going on with that. And on the other side, on the other hand, um, you know, in the mainstream, in the um, in the, constr- the control uh, system, they're trying to push us into this more controlled, transhuman uh, kind of s- social slave system that uh, we have most of the people that are waking up are starting to kind of buck against this system. Uh, I've felt for a long time that we're in a very important time in our humanity. How do you feel? What do you feel is going on during this era in humanity? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I have another blog. It's uh, snooze two number two awaken dot com. So on the subject of awakening, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wrote a book, snooze: a story of awakening. So you know, people can certainly uh, check that out. That's that's uh, available free online in a number of ways these days. So just go 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 find that. Um, it's a it's a really really great great question. I thought for the a very long time that you know there was a possibility that we would awaken as as a human species and and that sort of thing and we would come together and we would maybe overcome you know whatever whatever uh we're up against in terms of the the trickster aspect of our world or we would you know at least uh, become aware of it we would de- defuse it in some ways uh in some way and i'm i'm not 100 percent sure that I, I i uh that i'm on the same wavelength for me if you go to snooze to awaken.com and just type in the word uh, pandemic or pandemic in the search bar and you'll see all that i've written on on the virus and all that kind of thing i mean it's a it's a um there's a lot there and i've published a lot of articles on the subject so i don't want to crash your channel so i don't want to get into that too heavily but um just go do a search and you know you'll see kind of where i'm coming from there um but Really, I've seen a lot of people awakening, just like you're saying, exactly like what you're saying. And I've seen 10 times more people going back to sleep or you know, going fully asleep. And that's the disturbing thing for me over the last couple of years. I say disturbing. Ultimately, I'm starting not to care. It's people's decision. And I don't, I don't know that any of that really affects me. But because really, you know, you can't do anything about it. You can you can speak the truth. You can show data. You can you know, do all of these things. And people are going to be they're going to be triggered one way or another. They're going to either there's going to be a fire lit under their ass and they're going to wake up or they're going to be so terrified by shaming and peer pressure and follow the science and all of this other just just insane stuff that we've seen in the world that they're going to get in line and become good little sheeple if they're not already. And I've seen so many of those people literally, even if they were on the verge of waking up, falling back asleep, getting in line for their jabs, even when there's all this information that that is a terrible, terrible idea. It's just, it's just, it's been very sobering to watch this bifurcation happening. And I think, you know, it lends more credence to this biblical concept that we are approaching some kind of apocalyptic moment as the wheat and the chaff are being separated. 
Yeah, and that that kind of brings me back to the question, uh, the the biggest question that you kind of pose: Is it that we were hijacked by some archonic or demonic entity that's controlling our perception, or is it all part of our simulation? Did we build this all in for ourselves? Because without it, we wouldn't be able to grow spiritually. We wouldn't be able to evolve our consciousness if it was just all love and light. Uh, you know, would we be able to do any of that? And you know. Just like the Matrix movie, they, they, they created a simulation that was all uh, utopia, and we didn't like it. So we had to, to throw in a little bit of um, darkness in there and duality so we could learn something. What do you think about that? I love Hugo Weaving's, uh, as Agent Smith, his, he says, it was a disaster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's something to that, right? You know, if, if it's too hard... That's going to be a disaster. If it's too easy, that's going to be a disaster. I, I think, you know, we go one way or the other, and they're both disasters. We have to find that sweet spot because you have this middle ground sweet spot where you have these wanderers or errants or cultural creatives or weirdos or people who just don't fit in, and they actually see what's going on. But if you go, if you go to the left, the next, okay, to the left of that position, you are in you are in, you know, libtard land. You are in, um, you are in um, the progressive hellhole of, uh, of, uh, you know, do as do as we say, not as we do, et cetera, et cetera. Woke world. Which it's woke world. It's and and so that's that's the first step. And then the next step over when that when that metastasizes truly is you get Bolshevism, and so that's mm-hmm. that awful side so that's one side if you go the opposite way you get into kind of freedom lovers patriots and that kind of thing on the right and that's that appears to be you know a a better alternative to the woke world but really it's one step away from the far right and fascism yes yes. and so i think that we're just sliding we're being slid by the archons with their manipulation back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between those two poles and everyone except for this small group of people is buying into that spectrum yes it's either you're exactly right the spectrum we can't believe in any of that yeah yeah, you're exactly right. As as a whole, we're either being forced far left or far right, and it looks like we're about to s- slowly swing back towards the right in a big way. And you're absolutely right. Neither one of them is what we want. We need to find somewhere along the middle path uh, to thrive. Yeah, there's a – I don't know if you're familiar with Kelly Brogan, Dr. Kelly Brogan, um, an amazing doctor and writer who's written on, uh, on um, the whole world of uh, – of psychiatric medication and stuff. She's a psychiatrist. Um, mm-hmm. So I interviewed her. That interview is, uh, I think it's on my Substack as well. And the, uh, the, the name of the interview was something along the lines of, you know, that third term. Let me see if I can find that. That just, I'm going to give you the right title because that was pretty cool. And it's on this exact subject. Let's see. Yeah. I'm going to pull it up. See if it's there. Let me just see. Um, okay, it's harmonizing the sacred feminine and masculine to access the third riverbank of being. Wow. And this was also kind of the, the concept of that sort of came out of Cali the Destroyer because that book is a meditation on uh, the archetypal sacred feminine and sacred masculine and how, you know, alone, if they're left alone, they, they're not balanced and you end up with one of these polarities, right? Which we were sort of discussing politically, but if you 
put them together and you bring together the aspects, let's say in this partic particular instance of really respecting both freedom and your brothers and sisters, right? right. <laughs> if you could somehow combine both of those things into a synthesis, you would achieve a much higher level of, of, of being and doing than, than most people currently can access. Right, man. I love it. Very well said. Uh, now, what do you think is happening with the push to get the, the global consciousness to think that there, there are aliens out there, that there are aliens that are piloting these, uh, these craft that they've been discussing in our mainstream media and the news since 2017. Uh, they've even got Pentagon departments looking into it, and they're saying, yes, it's probably not humans. And, you know, I know a lot of the stuff they're showing us is in fact ours. Uh, they've been showing us TR3s and probably drones. But the question is, why now are they trying to get us to believe that aliens are out there? I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the whole Project Blue, Blue Beam yes. concept. So I really think that mostly it's to set that up should they choose to play that card. So it doesn't mean any of that's real, uh, you know, that, that people are visiting us. I mean, you know, I suppose you could say that if you're living in a simulation, you could have simulated worlds and you could have simulated beings showing up <laughs> who are just as simulated as you are. I suppose all of it could be real within the holograph. But we also from the and this is this is a little homage to the flat earth community. They've really shown some weird stuff having to do with the kind of dome of our world and you know, it doesn't appear that, you know, people are just coming and going through whatever that is. And then you've got Jason writing about the weird hidden architecture of the skies. That also doesn't yeah. lend credence to the idea that people are just freely coming and going out of our atmosphere. Um, you know, I mean, yes, maybe uh, something like the Nemesis X object is showing up and it's inhabited and those are maybe quote unquote aliens. Who knows? But it just doesn't appear that, you know, all this Pleiadian Andromeda and stuff, all of that stuff just to me seems to be pure old fashioned psyop. Mm -hmm. Not that the writers themselves necessarily are doing it on purpose, psyoping, right. but that they have bought into a psyop narrative that they are propagating unwittingly in most cases. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the whole UFO community has been infiltrated with individuals trying to uh, muddy the waters and put bad information in there, and that's something that we have to be very discerning with these days. Um, I also want to get your thoughts on uh, what we're seeing when we have like paranormal or poltergeist activity or ghosts or hauntings. Um, do you think this is what the, the, the narrative has always been, that it's a deceased you know, uh, spirit that is stuck in in this realm or, or do you think this could be something else having to do with the simulation yeah i mean you know if you look at it from a non-simulation perspective let me go back to one of my books you know because you know i am a writer so in snooze i write uh, of a boy named max who uh, it's in in a contemporary setting he's in florida he loses his mother in childbirth and his father ends up disappearing in the Bermuda Triangle, right? He's a, uh, his father's an astronaut, a Navy pilot and all of this stuff. 
So the physics of that world, and again, it's presented as a real world, not a simulation, but the physics of that, of that fictional universe is based on Dewey Larson's reciprocal system of physical theory, where you have a kind of unified field that, that is composed of space-time where we live and time-space, which is the inverse of our realm. And that is where all of the energy blueprints are held. But if you travel into time-space, as Max does in search of his father, then those energy blueprints are actually just you in reverse. They're your doppelganger. And you're in, so the poltergeist activity very, very often in that uh, in that world, things like well, even strange things like cryptids and whatnot, you know, mm -hmm. showing up in this realm, they're actually popping over from time space temporarily into space time where we can perceive them. Mm -hmm. And then they're re-entering time space. So that's one way of thinking about poltergeists and ghosts and other strange phenomena. From a simulation perspective, that doesn't work as well. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose the simulation could be made up of a time space and a space time and, and that kind of thing. But the way I uh, map reciprocal theory in a simulation environment is that when we talk about time space, we're talking about the world outside the simulation where the, where the programming is happening. So that is time space. And we go out there and yeah, sure enough, it's a version of ourselves also. Man, that's so interesting to think about. You mentioned cryptids, and you've actually done some research into Bigfoot. Tell us a little bit about your understanding of these guys. Well, do you know Lloyd Pye's research? Yes. Okay, so so I based um, my my um, presentation of the concept of Bigfoot in Snooze on his research, and I actually have a, a character in Snooze who is a Bigfoot, and her name is Zana, after the name of the, the legendary Russian ape woman that Lloyd Pye theorizes to have been a Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. So for him, you know, the, you know, he's not really into simulation theory. I mean, he passed away several right. years ago. But he wasn't really into that sort of thing. He wasn't into, um, you know, a, a lot of these uh, time, space, space, time things necessarily. He was looking at genomics and and uh, other really interesting facts having to do with the fact that uh, the idea that so much of our world is still un under uh, uh, unpopulated, you have, you know, massive territories yeah. where these creatures might exist. The panda bear was thought to be a myth until it was discovered by Teddy Roosevelt's son. And that's where we get the teddy bear, you know, and it was just up there chomping bamboo on the high in the high areas <laughs> of China. Right. So yeah. so who knows what we're actually uh, looking at with that. But I think there, you know, where there is smoke, there is fire. There is some phenomenon going there. It's it, there are drawings of things that look like Bigfoots in medieval manuscripts. It shows up. Uh, this concept shows up all over the world in various ways. And I just, I just, um, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, I don't have enough hubris to dismiss all of that as some kind of puerile or, or puerile or um, or primitive fantasy mm -hmm. i i believe that even even in a in a situation where uh our ancestors were more primitive they were still very intelligent in so many ways but i think the evidence 
strongly suggest that not only were they intelligent, they were far more advanced than we are in many ways. Yeah. So when when you see stuff cropping up out of the historic record and you see cross-cultural references to a phenomenon, and I'm, you don't even have to get into current day sightings or the Zabruder, not the Zabruder, but the uh, the 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 Patterson Gimlin, uh, the Patterson Gimlin yeah. uh, footage. You don't have to get into any of that if you just look at the historical record. There has to be something going on there. I would. Definitely have to agree. What are your thoughts on the the high strangeness that surrounds Bigfoot? Like uh, the the witnesses that have seen Bigfoot entering or exiting portals, uh, Bigfoot just manifesting or disappearing. Um, there's uh, plenty of uh, researchers that believe Bigfoot has psychic communication uh, abilities and other types of consciousness abilities that most humans don't have uh, easy access to. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, that's that's part of the way I present it in my book. I mm -hmm. definitely this whole time space space time uh, continuum is, you know, gives rise to that possibility that Bigfoots could pop in and out. I present them as deeply telepathic beings living in communities over in time space. Uh, very, very uh, interesting way of, of uh, uh, I, if I do say so myself, of theorizing what their communities, their society might be like. It, literally, it's a, a, a little world that, that Max ends up uh, interacting with, a, a Bigfoot world. Now, uh, for the last few minutes we have, do you think that we – it's possible, like Jason believes, that in our lifetime we could experience another one of these Phoenix events that could possibly have a, a, a detrimental effect on the large portion of the planet? I do. I absolutely do. I think the, the, the historical record of the phenomenon is so obvious that you have to entertain the possibility that it will happen Again, really, the question that I have is, you know, how serious Well, I have a couple of questions, but, you know, where will it most affect the world if, the, if it happens in, in 2040? You know, Jason says it's going to be pretty much China uh, and that that area of the east. Right. That, that's gonna, and then coastal areas will be affected. And then the other question I have is, you know, what is what level of ability do we have to interface with the phoenix phenomenon because there is this he documents jason documents uh various communities like you have sodom and gora be, uh, gomorrah being destroyed by a phoenix right but right next door is this little town that's completely untouched right right so what's going on there so he's saying that there's this discretionary ability that there's something about the phoenix phenomenon that is able to kind of interact consciously with people to determine maybe where they are energetically or in terms of their awakening level or something, who knows what, yeah. and it will actually not affect those people. This means in theory that if the whole world woke up, going back to that discussion, the Phoenix phenomenon would do nothing. Right. Man, so, so we have some ability collectively to, to impact the severity of the Phoenix events. If all of this is true. Right. The problem I believe... is that, that everything in the world is being done from the enemies of humanity in this in this scenario to lull us to sleep, to distract us and divide us so that we can't do that. Yes, I would happen to agree. I, I do believe that uh, 
we may be in a good position that we have uh, quite enough people coming around and waking up to make that difference happen. But uh, we definitely live in critical times, I, I do believe. And Soul, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Let the audience know where they can find your books, uh, if you have a website, social media, all that stuff. Well, I'm everywhere on social media. Uh, so so Saul Luckman, um, let's see, is that my Substack? SaulLuckman.substack.com is my main hub. I would love to encourage people to go over there and and uh, do a free subscription and follow what I'm up to. And then you'll see links to some other things. And, and I'm all over social media. I'm Crow Rising on YouTube. And you can look up, you can either look up Saul Luckman or Crow, like the bird, Crow Rising. And that will take you to wherever I am online. Great. Well, I'll have all those links for everyone right in the description. Sol, this was excellent, and we'll definitely have to do it again soon. I would love to. I really appreciate you having me on, Chris. Yes, it was great. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. See you all then.